In chapter 19, what was going on in Ephesus? Mark had to, had to teach that chapter, and I had forgotten how crazy chapter 19 is. That is the hardest chapter in the book of Acts. So uh, the, uh, the lot fell on Mark, and he had to, he had to teach that one. Um, but anyway, uh, what, are some stuff, what are some things that went on starting at the beginning of chapter 19 in Ephesus? First big event. Right. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Uh, disciples of John the Baptist um, received the Holy Spirit. And then what did they do after they received the Holy Spirit? They also, in verse 6. Yeah, that's right. Okay, some uh, sign gifts followed, indicating that they had indeed received the Holy Spirit. And then what was going on in verses uh, 8, 9, and 10 there? Verse 8, Paul went to synagogue. Yep, and he was, only, he was there for three months, which was a pretty long time for a synagogue. And then in verse 9, he changed locations and he went to... Yeah, the hall of Tyrannus, which was a school. This is a church plant in a school. Pretty neat, isn't it? Because that still happens today. Lots of church plants get started by meeting in a school. And that's what happened for two years. They met in a school. Pretty neat. Now, the next story is very crazy, isn't it? Uh, Verses 11 through 20. Someone want to summarize that in a sentence? What went on there? A brief thought. How about that? Can you summarize it with a brief thought? Well, there were seven sons of Serena, I guess is who his name was. Anyway, they were doing their typical things of being uh, dealing with evil spirits mm-hmm. and stuff and trying to cast one out. And the evil spirits said, you know, I don't think we know you. Yeah. <laughs> and them and them, or Paul and the others. So the evil spirit came out of that person, went into them. <laughs> Quite an episode. There you go. You could have just said quite an episode. That would sum it up. But yeah, there was some very tangible manifestations of spiritual warfare, right? Uh, That was some pretty wild stuff. Okay. Uh, Then what happened? The last 20 plus verses there, that's really one event. And what went on there? The riot that occurred. What, What incited the riot? Mm-hmm. Some silversmiths. And why were they upset? That's right. Business was bad, right? Uh, people were turning from these idols, and business was bad for the idol makers. Um, so, yeah, uh, interesting stuff going on there. It'd be like around here, um, if there was a big revival, it'd be like the CEOs of Seagull book and Deseret book getting real upset uh, with what was going on. Okay, and then there's something else that happened in here that you don't see in the book of Acts, but it happened at this time. Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. So you can uh, turn with me to the end of 1 Corinthians. Keep your finger here, but turn to 1 Corinthians 16, the last chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting at verse 5. 
So would someone read verses 5 through 9 of 1 Corinthians 16? Right, so Paul's intention was to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Um, I love the way he phrases that in verse 9. Having just recounted what happened to him in chapter 19 of Acts, all of that happened in Ephesus, do you think this would be your mindset? A wide door for effective work has opened to me, <laughs> and there are many adversaries. I'd say that's a pretty balanced statement. Uh, Depending on where you are on optimism, pessimism, you might have emphasized one over the other, but uh, Paul's pretty honest about the situation. says, hey, it's a door of opportunity. Things are happening, but also crazy things are happening. Uh, bad things are happening. Um, there are adversaries, and Paul was, was plowing through it. Um, but we're going to pick up in chapter 20 tonight in the book of Acts. And see what happens next, because Paul doesn't stay in Ephesus as we get into chapter 20. He actually leaves the city of Ephesus. Do you remember when that riot was going on at the end of chapter 19? Uh, what the disciples said to Paul? Because uh, Aristarchus and Gaius were two men who were brought out, and the riot had them in the center. And then Paul looked like, as you read through the narrative, it seemed like Paul was going to make his way out there to join those two. But the disciples got in between. And what, do you remember what they did and said there? This is in verse 30, starting in verse 30. They, they wouldn't let him go, right? He wished to go out, and the disciples said, uh, bad idea, Paul. And they prevented him from going out into the crowd as he wanted to. Um, so that's important to realize uh, that Paul was held back by those disciples. And, of course, at the end of the chapter, verse 41, um, everything quieted down and the crowd dispersed. So now we're going to pick up at, at that point in the narrative. Would someone read verses 1 through 6 of chapter 20? Acts 20, verses 1 through 6. Who can read that for us? Okay, go ahead. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent to the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail, set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sophitur the Berean, son of Hyacus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, uh, Aristarchus, and Secundus. Yeah, you, you drew the short straw on this one, Jim. <laughs> And Timothy, here we go. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Kaus, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Kaus, where we stayed for seven days. All right. So I have a challenge tonight because in passages like this, there's a lot going on, and none of it is particularly exciting. Uh, cha chapter 19 
you know, there, there was a lot going on in chapter 19, and it's a hard, hard chapter to teach, but it's exciting too, right? Chapter 20, you got a lot of names, a lot of places, and I've, ga- I've given you maps. So we're just going to kind of get into this here, and I want you to see things, and I, I don't expect you to understand and learn all of it. I don't understand all of it, okay? I don't expect you to just grasp, grasp all the geography here, but I want you to start getting some things together, piecing some things together. Um, I mentioned earlier, I don't think all of you were in the room, those maps I gave you, one of them is Paul's second missionary journey. You can look at the bottom left. The other one is his third missionary journey. It got cut off because I clicked the wrong button when it printed, and then it all printed, and I didn't want to use all that color again, so there you go. Uh, You do probably have those maps in the back of your Bible, but I wanted to give those to you tonight so you didn't have to keep flipping to the back of your Bible. You could have them right there in front of you. And I also want to let you know about this resource. Very handy. This is from Rose Publishing called Then and Now Bible Maps. And uh, for instance, with Paul's missionary journeys, you have the map here of the region that he covered all the way from Jerusalem through Italy. And you can put this transparency over it and it shows the modern day countries and cities that are there. It even scratches out if a city doesn't exist anymore by that name and puts the new name there. So it's a really handy tool, Rose Publishing, uh, Bible Maps Then and Now. So might be something that you want to have next to your Bible if you're reading through a book like the book of Acts. All right? So what I want to do through these first six verses is start defining and plugging away at people and places. Stay awake. You can do it. All right? It, we, we can do this together. Um, the first thing we need to define is in verse 1. It says that Paul sent for the disciples. Who are the disciples? Um, Yeah, it's quite possible those listed below and probably those back up there in chapter 19, verse 30, those who would not let him from going into the crowd. Probably those same people, too, uh, the ones who were there with him uh, at the theater who, who didn't want him to go into the crowd. But there's also someone who is a part of this group who, interestingly, is not mentioned in the entire book of Acts. And he has a book of the Bible named after him in the New Testament. Can you think of who that might be? Titus. Titus is the one. Um, we know that Titus accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys. It's likely he's there right now in, in this part of the story, but he's not mentioned. And I want you to see this in the New Testament. So again, keep your finger here, but turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want you uh, to look at verses 12 and 13. 2 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. Um, In the passage that Jen just read for us, it talks about how Paul and his company ends up in the city of Troas. And here in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul is talking about that moment in Troas. Would someone read verses 12 and 13 of 2 Corinthians 2? Who's got it? Go ahead, Mike. Now when I came to trust for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me, had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, 
but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. All right, so he expected Titus to be in Troas with him um, because Titus had been with him at some point on a missionary journey before as one of the disciples who was helping Paul. And he was greatly distressed because he didn't see him, couldn't find him. Did Paul and Titus ever reconnect? Yes. <laughs> yes, they did. In fact, the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul mentions Titus several times, saying how he was refreshed uh, that he uh, got to see Titus again. Turn to chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 7, and look at verse 6 with me. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6, it says, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Drop down to verse 13. It says, therefore we are comforted, and be, besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine in this day and age, um, anybody who has been alive in the last uh, 60 years, 60 plus years, has got really accustomed to pretty much instant communication. Uh, we are very used to that. And in the missionary journeys, of course, if you wanted to contact somebody, you had to send a messenger. You had to uh, send somebody with a letter to take a letter to, to the person you wanted to talk to. It was just really difficult. And on a missionary journey, when you're taking ships and you're crossing land and you're bouncing from city to city, you're leaving a guy here, leaving a couple guys there, picking up a couple guys here. Uh, you just lose track of people. Uh, you, you go to a city and you think, oh, yeah, Titus is going to be here. And he was not there. And so Paul was distressed when they got to Troas because Titus wasn't there, and he loved Titus, he appreciated Titus. And it's likely that Titus is one of the disciples that Paul had in mind, uh, or that Luke had in mind, when he's writing here in Acts 19 and 20. All right? Um, it says back in Acts 20 that he did what with the disciples? He sent for them, and then he did what? In verse 1. Yeah, exhorted or encouraged. Uh, the word means to, to come alongside and to provide some sort of comfort or encouragement. Melissa? So Titus, when he was missing, that was before all of like... No, so if you look in verse 5, when they leave Ephesus and they go to Troas, Paul says in Troas he was upset because Titus was not at Troas. So right he was... There you go. Yep, yep. What do you think Paul's encouragement or exhortation was like to these disciples in Ephesus? Knowing all the things that happened in chapter 19 that we just recapped, what do you think Paul was saying to, uh, to those disciples? What words of encouragement would you have if you had just lived through those things? Way to go, you're rallying them up. <laughs> okay, good, yeah. You got their attention. That's good. That's good. He's probably teaching them about spiritual warfare, too. Um, I mean, in this chapter, you've got tongues and prophesying followed directly by demons beating people up and stripping people naked. That's wild stuff. Uh, they were seeing some pretty tangible spiritual warfare. And then you've got business owners who are coming together as a coalition against the church. Kind of like if the, uh, the Chamber of Commerce that I'm a part of, because <clears throat> I'm a really important community individual, uh, the Chamber of Commerce in 
Pace and Santaquin area decided that they don't like Orchard Hills Bible Church. And they were rallying the city uh, against us and perhaps even telling people not to sell to us because of our identity as Christians. You guys seem like you don't care if that were to happen. That would, uh, that would be not a fun thing to live through, right? And we would be looking for some exhortation or some encouragement uh, from one another to get through something like that. We're talking a whole city against a church. That's what's going on. Pretty wild stuff. Okay, and uh, when they left Ephesus at the end of verse 1, where were they going? Macedonia. Let's list off some Macedonian cities. We've read about them in chapter 17. If you need to cheat by going back there and looking, 16 and 17. What are the names of those cities of Macedonia? Philippi. Philippi. What else? What was that? Yep, Berea. And one more big one. First and second... Thessalonians, Thessalonica is in there too. So they were, he was going to go back to the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. That would be, I think, his first time going back through those cities uh, since the events of chapters 16 and 17. I know it would be. Um, so he would be going back into uh, that region for the first time, probably visiting the leaders of those churches and strengthening them. Um, okay. And it says, uh, let's see, what, what does this, uh, this note mean? I don't know what my own note means, so I'm going to skip that note because I don't know what to say about that. Um, and verse 2, when he had gone through those regions, so Macedonia and those cities, and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Um, so he goes through and he gives the leaders their encouragement, probably very similar to what he told the leaders in Ephesus, encouraging them and strengthening their faith in the Lord. And what cities are in Greece that Paul has some experience in that we just read about in chapter 18? Athens and Corinth. Corinth. That's in Greece too. And... Uh, do you know what book he wrote when he went back to Greece for these uh, three months? In verse 3 it says. He was in Greece for three months, likely mostly in Corinth. Do you know what book he wrote there? Nobody wants to guess. Romans, the book of Romans. It says in Romans 16, 16, um, well, in chapter 16, he's listing off a bunch of people um, that greet them. And he says, all the churches of Christ greet you. He says to the Romans, all the churches of Christ greet you. Well, how does Paul know that all the churches of Christ greet the church in Rome? Well, as you look through our passage here tonight, down into verses uh, 4 and 5, Look at where all those people are from. You've got Berea represented, Thessalonica represented there, Derby represented, Galatia is represented in Asia. You've got all these people from these different churches, and they were with Paul, and he was in Greece writing to the church in Rome. So that's when that book uh, was written. Okay, thoughts or questions as I'm throwing all kinds of factoids out about cities and people? Melissa. 
This is Paul's second missionary journey. Yep. His, uh... No, it's his third. Yeah. Yeah, it's his third. His first one was in Galatia. It was a short one. His second one um, was completed when he came back to uh, Antioch. And then his third one, yeah, started um, at the end of 18... Well, no, basically at the beginning of 19. That's the start of his third missionary journey when he goes up to Ephesus. So if you look at your little map there, on his third missionary journey... He leaves Antioch, goes up through Galatia, and ends up in, uh, in Ephesus there. And so we don't really have a lot of details from Antioch to Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And I don't know how they know that he took that path. Uh, it must be listed somewhere in Scripture. Um, and maybe it's listed in 18 or 19. 18.23. Okay. So all his uh, all his curves and stops through cities. I'm assuming they're just guessing because <laughs> I mean he could have gone a, perhaps a different way. I don't know, but uh, well, he was going to strengthen the disciples that they had established on second missionary journey. Does that say that? Uh, oh yeah, strengthening all the disciples. Yeah, so that so it's likely he's probably just stopping at. The ones actually that he planted in his first missionary journey and then saw again in the second missionary journey. But we don't get many details until Ephesus. Okay? All right. So he spent three months in Greece, according to verse 3. And what made him leave Greece? Pretty much the same thing that makes him leave every place. The Jews get upset and want to kill him. So he leaves and goes to Syria. Now find Syria on your map. Where is it? it? It's cut off. The word is cut off. But do you know what color it is on your map? It's the same color on both maps. Yellow. Yellow. All the way to the east there. Yeah, that, that big yellow glob. It's just, you can get the S and the Y, and that's about it. But that's Syria. So he's going uh, a long ways from Greece to uh, Syria. And it says that he decided to go through Macedonia. He wanted to go back through those cities again of Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica. And then these are the people who were with him. Sopater, who was a Berean, and um, Aristarchus, and Secondus, and Gaius, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus. Those are some pretty epic names, aren't they? <laughs> um, Sopater, Aristarchus, Secondus, and Gaius are, uh, or not Gaius, but the first three, are all Macedonians. Paul loved the Macedonians. The Macedonians were very helpful to Paul in his journeys. Those three come from Macedonia. Uh, Gaius and Timothy are both Galatians. Um, they come from that region that's in green on your map, uh, the region of Galatia. And um, Timothy, we know a lot about Timothy, right? We hear that name over and over again in the New Testament. Um, he was picked up by Paul in the second, I think, uh, first or second missionary journey from Galatia as a convert. And he's been with Paul a lot. Do you know which church he eventually became the overseer of after Paul's missionary journeys? 
No, that's James. James was Jerusalem. Ephesus, Ephesus yep. Timothy became the overseer of this crazy place, this uh, city of Ephesus that we just read about. Uh, Timothy eventually became the overseer of the church there. And Tychicus and Trophimus, perhaps you recognize the first name, Tychicus. Do you remember seeing that in the New Testament and other places? He is mentioned multiple times in multiple books. He is mentioned in the letter to the Ephesians because he's the one who brought them their letter. Uh, That six-chapter book that we have that talks about all kinds of amazing things. I mean, think of what we'd be missing in doctrine if we didn't have the book of Ephesians. Just the whole armor of God passage in chapter 6. If we were missing that, man, we'd be missing a lot. And there's so much in that book. Tychicus was the one entrusted to take that book to the, or that letter, to the Ephesians. There's another letter he took. It's the letter to the Colossians. Tychicus also was the uh, Pony Express guy for the letter to the Colossians. And it's possible, I mean, there's New Testament evidence that hints, perhaps, Tychicus ended up in Crete with Titus. And so he, he did a lot of stuff in the New Testament. And because of him, uh, through him, I should say, we have a lot of our New Testament that God preserved for us through Tychicus's efforts. It's hard to say that in a possessive. Tychicus's. Tychicus's. All right. Uh, Trophimus. Now, this is a name you certainly won't remember, right? Does it... Is there any chance that you remember the other places in the New Testament where Trophimus is mentioned? I will give you a trophy if you remember where Trophimus is mentioned. Well, Trophimus was an Ephesian, so he's from the city of Ephesus. And he continued with Paul to Jerusalem, we find out in the New Testament. Uh, Actually, I believe the very next chapter, Acts 21, tells us that. And then he shows up again, his name shows up again in 2 Timothy 4. Uh, Paul says to Timothy at the end of Paul's life, he says, I left Trophimus in Miletus. He was sick. And that's it. (laughs) That's all we know. He he got dropped off in Miletus because he was like seasick or something. Uh, That's it. Trophimus. But he was a guy who stuck with Paul till the end of Paul's life. Pretty cool, huh? Helpful men, Tychicus and Trophimus. Timothy gets all the glory with his normal name, and these other two weird-named people don't get very much attention, uh, but they should. All right, thoughts or questions on that? No? Good? Okay. Well, um, with that band of men, they go to Troas, like I was mentioning. You see that in verse 5. They, um, the disciples go on ahead to Troas, um, and if you look at your map, you can see Troas. Find the orange, the big orange spot labeled Asia. And then look in the northwest corner of that spot. You can see where Troas is up there in northwest Asia. It says that all those men I just listed, they went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. So Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, is making a distinction between us and the disciples uh, that he just listed. Those disciples went on ahead, but it seems as though uh, Luke stayed back uh, with some other people, and they took longer to get to Troas because they spent time in Philippi. And it took five days to travel from Philippi 
to Troas. Philippi is in the very top left of your sheet. It's in another orange blob in the top left. There's the city of Philippi. And it takes five days to go through those islands of Thrace to get to Troas. Um, And they all meet up there. So that is what's going on. (laughs) Lots, Lots to keep track of. And then in Troas, we have this relatively famous story about the boy who falls asleep during a sermon. So you all need to really listen to this one, okay? Uh, Find out what happens to this young man. Would someone like to read verses 7 through 12? Taking place in Troas. Who can read that for us? Okay. Now on the first day of the week, There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. In a window stood a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not at all comforted. All right. Paul, just preaching a long sermon, you know, and when you preach, sometimes not even a long sermon. You got people who fall asleep, and that's what happened here. Gives me hope if people fell asleep to Paul, <laughs> you know, uh, it's not a big deal when they fall asleep to me, I guess. I was, uh, last night I was watching an episode of All in the Family, one of my favorite all-time shows, and uh, you guys you guys are familiar with All in the Family, right? Uh, I guess some of you are. Where Archie's life was saved at work. He was working at the factory, and uh, something, this big old, like, crate or something uh, fell down and just barely missed him and he brought his lunchbox home and you know his big cube lunchbox was just flat like this with its little handle and he said <laughs> he said look at this Edith that could be me I'm holding in my hand uh, and uh, he, he was uh, he was bound and determined to believe that God saved his life because he heard a little voice in his head that said he needed to salt his hard-boiled egg and so he stepped away to salt his hard-boiled egg and that's when the thing fell down and so he was going to be really religious now. And uh, he started going to church. And they went to church that first Sunday. And he came back and he was upset because Joe, Joe Namath was on TV and he was missing part of the game. And uh, he said, that, that preacher, he doesn't preach a sermon. He gives a weekly filibuster. And uh, so maybe that's what Eutychus was feeling as he was sitting there in the room. Is that, boy, this isn't really a sermon. That's a filibuster. It's taking so long. But I was... I found an interesting commentary here from F.F. Bruce, who's just really good on the book of Acts. And he gives some more context to this, because the way we typically read it is, okay, Paul was going on forever, it was midnight, the boy was sleepy, why why was Paul just preaching so long, and blah, 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 our minds can jump to that. Well, listen to what F.F. Bruce says. He says, the meeting was held in the evening, a convenient time for many members of the Gentile churches who were not their own masters and were not free in the daytime. And Paul conversed with them. Church meetings were not regulated by the clock in those days, and the opportunity of listening to Paul was not one to be cut short. What did it matter if his conversation went on until midnight? 
thought that was an important way to think about it is you've got all these Gentiles there who are likely slaves. You know, when Paul writes his letters, uh, particularly Ephesians and Colossians, he writes to slaves in those letters, Christian slaves. So they're out literally slaving away all day. And then they come in the evening to this church service that they had to have in the evening because everyone's working all day. They get together, and Paul's not going to be there much longer. This was their last day in Troas. So he's just going on and on as people are coming in and out. That's what's happening. And uh, Eutychus got a little sleepy, and that's okay. Did you notice that it said Paul was being so generous with his time? Down in verse 11, it says he talked until when? Daybreak. So not only was he preaching at midnight, he was talking with them all the way until the sun came up. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Paul was that radically generous with his time and caring for them. And they were meeting on what day? What day is that, Melissa? <laughs> Sunday. They were meeting on Sunday. And it's likely that this was their practice. This is the only reference we have in the book of Acts to this. Um, but it seems it's mentioned as though that's just what they did. On the first day of the week, they got together and they broke bread. That's likely a big meal that they had together that included communion, the Lord's, the Lord's table. And then, of course, it included a sermon, too, because Paul was up speaking. Melissa. Oh, um, like on the topic of Paul until Yeah, uh, especially because they didn't have Bibles like we have Bibles, right? So if you had questions about God and man, Paul's right there, and he's an apostle. <laughs> Bring your questions. Paul's going to be here at an all-night event. and Because uh, they couldn't just turn to the book of Romans, for instance. He had just written that book and sent it off, but they didn't have a copy of it. Where would you be without the book of Romans? And Paul just wrote that 16-chapter letter, and he was right there, and they could talk to him about it. Pretty cool, huh? A little more about Eutychus, this young man. Uh, again, from F.F. F. Bruce. I, I love the way he just provides context for all this. He says, The air in that crowded room, that crowded upper room, began to grow heavy with smoke of torches, which had been lit to dispel the evening darkness. And a young man named Eutychus, even though he sat at the window where the air was freshest, found it impossible to keep awake. Perhaps he had put in a hard day's work from dawn to sunset, and now the stuffy atmosphere, and now in the stuffy atmosphere, not even the words of an apostle could keep him from falling asleep. Suddenly he overbalanced and fell through the window, a mere opening in the wall, to the ground beneath, and the room was three floors up. No wonder, then, that he was picked up dead, as Luke says. <laughs> so, you think of, again, our minds just jump to, well, a young man not paying attention, sitting back there playing on his phone, you know, <laughs> it just uh, ignoring the sermon. Well, no, he was probably a slave who was tired. And, yeah, it says the room was filled with um, 
It says, uh, what does it say in the ESV here? Many lamps, which obviously weren't electric. We're talking torches here. Stuffy room with smoke. And he passed out there uh, in the window and fell three stories. Pretty wild. Why is it significant that Luke wrote in uh, verse 9 that the boy was dead? Why is it significant that Luke wrote that? Good. Luke was a physician. He's dealt with dead people before. <laughs> and so, according to Luke, uh, he was taken up dead. Uh, surely, you know, Luke looked at him. He was the resident doctor. He said, taken up dead. But then, uh, Paul comes back and says in verse 10, ah, don't be alarmed. His life is in him. So who do you listen to in a situation like that? A doctor or an apostle? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Who's got more authority on uh, a health matter in that instance? Well, Paul proved to be right. Uh, God preserved the boy's life. And of course, uh, the believers there were not a little comforted, it says in verse 12. They were comforted by the fact that this boy uh, was preserved. So, pretty neat, huh? Doesn't say what his recovery was like. Three, falling three stories, I imagine he cracked a, a pelvis or something. I don't know. Uh, that's a long way to fall, so... Thoughts on that event or questions? We should, uh, we should set up tall benches in here. And on Sunday mornings, you guys can all sit on these tall benches. And if you fall asleep, you'll just start dropping. Boop, 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 boop. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. So, All right. Let's look. Oh, go ahead. No, we just drag you out. <laughs> no raising up, just dragging out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's look at verses 13 to 16. That's the last passage we'll look at tonight. Someone want to read that for us, those verses 13 to 16? Let's have another man read. Jerry, go ahead. But we going ahead, but we going ahead to the ship, set sail for us, uh, intending from there to take Paul on board. For so he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, he took him on board and came to Malin. Suddenly from there we arrived the following day, opposite. And the next day, we crossed over to Samos, and the, next, and the day following, we came to Miletus. For Paul had uh, decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. All right. So take your maps again. Grab your maps. We had a little break from the maps, but now we've got to go back to the maps because we have places and things going on here. And we have, to go, uh, we have to go through this geographical section to get to the really sweet cream of chapter 20, verses 17 to 38. That's going to take the next two Wednesday nights to cover. Um, super awesome passage. Uh, but let's look at these people and places and things here. It says in verse 13 that we set sail. Who's the we here? Can we remember 
Who was involved? Okay, so going back to verse 4, those names. And who else would be included in that if the author says we? Yeah, Luke. Yeah, it's basically Luke and all the disciples except for Paul, right? So before, when they were going to Troas, Luke was uh, separated with some other disciples. And Paul had gone on ahead with some guys. And then now it's everybody except for Paul leaving Troas. It says, we went ahead to the ship to set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there because he arranged uh, for himself to go by land to that place. Why do you think uh, Paul told everybody to go on ahead? He said, you guys go into your ship, and if you look at the map, you can see, um, sounds like we're saying a bad word, doesn't it? You can see where Assos is up there, uh, below, just south of Troas. That's where they're headed, from Troas to that city. They took a ship that took them west, and kind of wrapped around and came around, and Paul said, I will walk by land. He just went straight south, walking, going by land. Why do you think Paul told them to go on ahead? Considering the context of Eutychus and the people in Troas. <laughs> that was my first thought. I, I thought, oh, maybe Paul just needed a break from people, <laughs> right? I know I would. Um, but I, you know, as I was reading some commentary on that, I thought, yeah, maybe they're right. They had him up until daybreak having conversations. He's answering all their questions. This young man just fell three stories, and his life was still in him. But it doesn't say how long it took uh, for him to really come to and to be aware and everything, his consciousness to come back. And so perhaps Paul needed more time with those people. Going by land would be quicker than by ship. They needed to get their ship there in Troas. That's where they were picking up their ship uh, and to go on. And Paul said, you know what? You go ahead and go by ship. I can stay here a little longer than just come down by land. So perhaps he was staying with those believers in Troas a little bit longer and then took a shortcut by land to that next city. Um, or maybe he just needed a long time. We don't know for sure. Uh, but anyway, they all meet up there in that city. And they're all on the ship now in verse 14. Paul meets them, and they take them on board, and they go to this next city, Mytilene or something like that. Don't really know how to pronounce that. And you can see that on your map. If you see where Assos is, just go southeast a little bit, and there's that city on the island of Lesbos. And that is the biggest city on that island. It's the chief city of that island. And it's only mentioned briefly that they went to that city. They set sail from there, verse 15, and they came uh, opposite of Chios. We want to pronounce that like we would pronounce the Spanish name and say Chios, <laughs> but it's Chios in the Greek. And they went east of that island uh, and kept going down. It says the next day they touched at Samos. And after that, they went to Miletus. Hopefully you can just follow that, uh, see all those names coming down to Miletus. And Paul, it says in verse 16, decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia because he really wanted to get to Jerusalem. It's not that he wanted to avoid Ephesus. I think if I would have been in Ephesus and would have experienced demons beating people up and taking their clothes off, I would have said, I'm not going back to that city. Uh, but that wasn't Paul's heart here. His heart was to get to Jerusalem, not to avoid Ephesus necessarily. 
He wanted to be in Jerusalem at Pentecost because that's like the place to be at Pentecost is in Jerusalem. Uh, that's where the church started all the way back in Acts chapter 2. Jerusalem at Pentecost. They were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit uh, came upon them and they spoke in tongues and the church was born. Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem at Pentecost and he didn't want to stop and spend a lot of time along the way. But we find out in this text, uh, especially getting into verse 17, that they do stay in the city of Miletus for a little bit. Apparently their ship had to get refueled. I don't know. Uh, something had to happen with the ship. And uh, uh, they, were, they were just there for a couple of days. And while they were there, Paul wanted to talk to those leaders in Ephesus still. So instead of going himself to the city of Ephesus, he called for them to meet him in Miletus. And that's going to be the context for the rest of chapter 20. Paul and the Ephesian elders having a conference in the city of Miletus. So if you look at verse 17, it says, uh, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they had come to him, he said, and then the rest is his speech to them. All right. Oh, lots of geography. <laughs> Hopefully it was helpful having the map in front of you uh, for that. Otherwise, it's just words on paper. Uh, yeah, you can see it a little bit. And you can see where he ends up after he leaves Miletus. They end up going through those islands, and then they make a pretty quick run over to Jerusalem, wanting to get there for Pentecost. And that's the end of the third missionary journey. Okay. Any thoughts or questions, not only on what we covered tonight, but Acts as a whole? This is the 42nd lesson in the book of Acts already. Can you believe that? Lesson number 42. Almost a year's worth of lessons there. Pretty amazing. Okay. Well, anybody want to uh, go to those places and plant churches today? Because that's still needed, you know. You can go visit and check it out. I was looking on Google Maps. I like to, uh, when I see it, you know, in those maps for what it looked like then, I like to get on Google Maps and then zoom in and check out how developed those cities are and what they got going on. And you can actually get a hotel in a lot of those cities for pretty cheap. You can stay at some really nice-looking hotels in the Greek islands for like 60 bucks a night. So just get over there, get a plane ticket, and go check it out. Uh, you know, we would love to have missionaries sent out of this church. Uh, you could go strengthen a church in Greece. Wouldn't that be amazing? Let's do a church cruise. Yeah. Fun, that's next year's fundraiser. Church cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so. so so, it's the green. So you see um, all those green islands there. Uh, you, you can maybe see Athens on the third missionary journey page. You've got the, uh, the red line goes around the city of Athens. All the green there is considered Greece. And then all the orange islands are considered Asia at that time, though they have Greek names. And even today they have... Uh, lots of Greek names. That's modern-day Turkey that you're looking at there. Most, it seems like most of the things in the Bible uh, 
the geography. When you say, oh, where's that? The answer is Turkey. Uh, Turkey covers a lot of that, that area, so. Anyway. Okay. I, one thing to notice, too, just uh, it's in plain sight, maybe hidden in plain sight, is how God directs his people to go places. And there's freedom for his people to move and do things. Um, Paul was very free in his conscience to go from one city to the next, to stay in this city maybe just a handful of days, and then to stay in this city for two or three years. He was free in his conscience to do that. That was the ministry that God had given him uh, in the church. And he had these disciples who were with him, and they would be under his direction, certainly, Timothy and Tychicus and some of these other guys. And he would say, hey, could you go strengthen this church? And they would be sent off, and that wouldn't be their final place. They would maybe go there for just a couple of years and then move on to the next place. And that's just an amazing thing about the way God builds His church is that there's diversity there. Some people will feel absolutely committed to a place until they die. Like I know of some pastors, when they signed up and joined on with the church to pastor a church, they said, I look at this as a marriage. It's till death do we part. That's a big statement to make. I'm, not, I mean, I love you guys, but I'm not willing to say that. You know, I said it to my wife uh, when we got married. Uh, I don't know if I could say that to a church. I mean, that's a really big statement to make. Um, but if that's the ministry God has given them and they're committed to that, then that's great. And then there are guys today who are evangelists who perhaps have a local church, but they're not always at their local church because they're out strengthening other churches. Uh, and God has given them that ministry. And there is freedom in that. There's wisdom in all that too that needs to be employed. But there is also freedom in the church. So, um, pretty cool stuff. I saw there, was it in 1 Corinthians, that verse you read out there, he said, the Lord had opened a door, opened a door but something about Titus wasn't there or something. So he didn't go, right? So, yeah, I don't know which... We went, we went to a lot of passages. Are you talking about... Is that 2 Corinthians 2? 2 Corinthians 2, when it says, yeah, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at all at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Yeah, it's, the way it's phrased there, it does sound like it's possible that if Titus would have been there, he would have been there longer. Um, his plans would have been different. The way it reads in Acts is... Uh, he really needed to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost, which is why he left. But maybe it was just a combination of factors. Could have been. Yep. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 16, Paul tries to persuade Apollos to go back to Corinth. And Apollos says, nope, I'm not doing that. Yeah, those people are crazy. <laughs> yep. That's what I would have said too, probably. <laughs> it was Acts 16 where um, they were trying to make their way to different cities, and it says that the Lord yep. uh, forbade that. He didn't forgive them to. Yeah, well, how, how many... Yeah, go ahead. Comparing that with what we just looked at in uh, 1930, perhaps he used the, the wisdom of the disciples to do that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't read that and think like, well... God talked to him. spoke to him supernaturally, but yeah. very likely he could have spoke to him through the saints. Yeah, and how, how many times was Paul talking about wanting to get to Rome? He had never visited Rome, but he desired to. He, he wrote to him and said, 
yeah, I'm going to be heading over to Spain, and I, I want to make a quick stop, is basically what he said. Never happened. Uh, so when you make plans, you'd hold it with an open hand because God directs all that. Uh, like James says, be careful about saying, we will go here to such and such a city and make a profit. You need to say, as the Lord wills, or if the Lord wills, we will do such a thing. So, yep, and, and Paul fully recognized that that was God's sovereign hand at work. When a door got shut, he would say, uh, the Holy Spirit prevented us. Joe. Well, um, they got around. There were lots of tradesmen. When you think about how commerce worked back then, you had to physically go places, right? Uh, you know, today we don't have to do nearly as much running around as they did. And Paul was a tent maker by trade. He had a, a traveling career. He could make a tent anywhere. And so he would go on from city to city. Probably a lot of times they were learning as they went. They would go along. Um, as they got to a city that they knew about, they'd be talking to people and say, where's the next city, you know, and they'd tell them and they would go. Um, but there are surely lots of cities they already knew about just because of trade. Yep, the, you've got the, the yarn spinner from Philippi and you've got the blacksmith from Ephesus or whatever, you know, they just knew about all that stuff. So, right. Well, why don't I close us in prayer and... We'll be dismissed for the evening. Father, thank you so much for our study tonight and these places that we would have such a hard time uh, keeping track of if it was up to our, our little minds to do it. Uh, we thank you that we have maps and that we have these narratives that you've preserved for us that connect the dots and reveal to us the way that you built your church early on. And we ask that we would appreciate the work of the disciples who sacrificed so much to do what you had called them to do. Lord, uh, please help us to see your sovereign hand and your, your beautiful work in passages like this that can seem so boring to so many. Um, give us great insight into that and cause us to be provoked in our spirits as we consider the work you have for us. Lord, thank you. Uh, for these people. Thank you for the time that they've taken this evening, uh, this precious time to fellowship. We ask you to keep us safe as we travel home tonight and that we would uh, spend the rest of our week serving you. In Jesus' name, amen.